0: This morning we're going to continue our journey through the book of Psalms. And we're walking just through every one of the Psalms in a multi-year series. And one of the things we found in the book of Psalms is, man, there are some Psalms that are all about praise and gratitude. But then we have some Psalms that are all about sadness and despair. Some of the Psalms we've seen at this point are confession of sin. I mean, the Psalms bring to us the full range of human emotion and experience. It's why they can provide us language for nearly every type of human experience. We need the book of Psalms. But some of these Psalms are a bit harder to handle. There are some of the Psalms that are just pure prayers for justice. For God to bring justice against our enemies. And when you hear those psalms, they sometimes can ring harsh or insensitive to our modern ears. But we got to deal with them because they're part of the human experience. They're part of human emotion. When you are hurt, what do you say to God? And so this morning we step into Psalm 35. It's a psalm of David. And here's the thing we don't know. We don't know the immediate context. Like, so, We don't know exactly what's going on in David's life. When he prays this prayer of justice. What we do know is that there are people that have come against David. They've accused him falsely. It has been a public accusation. And to make matters worse, David has actually responded with good. When he found out that his enemies were sick, he actually started to fast and pray for them. And what did his enemies do? They continued to try to hurt him. So David just pushes pedal to the floor and continues to pray for justice. We don't know when this happened in David's life, but it is a strong prayer of justice. And I want us to feel the weight of it. I want us to hear the range of anger that we get from David. So we're going to read the whole thing. Psalm 35, the whole thing. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, Psalm 35. I'm in the New International Version. It's a longer psalm, but we're going to read the whole thing. And I want us to feel what David is praying against his enemies. Here it is. A psalm of David. We'll pick up verse 1. Contend, Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and armor. Arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear. ...and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to me, I am your salvation. May those who seek my life be disgraced and put to shame. May those who plot my ruin be turned back in dismay. May they be like chaff before the wind... ...with the angel of the Lord driving them away. May their path be dark and slippery. May the angel of the Lord... ...with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Since they hid their net for me without cause... And without cause dug a pit for me. May ruin overtake them by surprise. May the net they hid entangle them. May they fall into the pit to their ruin. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord. And delight in his salvation. My whole being will exclaim. Who is like you Lord? You rescue the poor from those too strong for them. The poor and needy from those who rob them. Ruthless witnesses come forward. They question me on things I know nothing about. They repay me evil for good and they leave me like one bereaved. Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth, I humbled myself with fasting. When my prayers returned to me unanswered, I went about mourning as though my, as, as though for my friend or brother. I bowed my head in grief as though weeping for my mother. But when I stumbled, they gathered in glee. Assailants gathered against me without my knowledge. They slandered me without ceasing. Like the ungodly, they maliciously mocked. They gnashed their teeth at me. How long, Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their ravages, my precious life from these lions. I will give you thanks in the great assembly among the throngs. I will praise you Do not let those who gloat over me, who are my enemies without cause, do not let those who hate me without reason maliciously wink the eye. They do not speak peacefully, but they devise false accusations against those who live quietly in the land. They sneer at me, and they say, Aha! Aha! With our own eyes we've seen it. Lord, you have seen this. Do not be silent. Do not be far away, Lord. Awake and arise to my defense. Contend for me, my God and Lord. Vindicate me in your righteousness, Lord, my God. Do not let them gloat over me. Do not let them walk and think, Aha, just what we wanted. Or say, we have swallowed him up. May all who gloat over my distress be put to shame and confusion. May all who exalt themselves over me be clothed with shame and disgrace. May those who delight in my vindication shout for joy and gladness. May they always say, The Lord be exalted, who delights in the well-being of His servant. My tongue will proclaim Your righteousness, Your praises all day long. This is the most lengthy and the most specific prayer against his enemies that David has yet prayed in the book of Psalms. There's nothing this lengthy. There's nothing this this specific at this point. And what would David be praying against his enemies? What is he asking God to do? I mean, we just read it, but I just want you to see it. Like we're, now, I want you to see it in the first eight verses. This is what David is asking for God to do to his enemies. Things like brandish a spear and a javelin. In our day, we may say, get your AK, get your Glock. Like, those are the kind of things we'd say in our day. (laughs) Isn't that funny to think of God having a Glock? He'd probably have five or six. Here we go. Um, You already heard what I had to say about security and guns a few weeks ago, right? So we won't go there again. Be disgraced, he says, and put to shame. He says, God, let them be like shaft. Like, they're just blown away. And then he calls on the angel of the Lord twice. Like the great warrior of God, hey, God, send that warrior to drive them away, pursue them. He says, let their path be dark and slippery. Keep going. He says, may ruin overtake them. Oh, keep going. Let's go to the next one. Ruin overtake them. May a net entangle them. Let them fall into a pit to their ruin. Now, if we just step back. You ever wanted to pray that for your enemies? Yeah. 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 This is a very specific prayer against his enemies. And part of it is because if you heard in verses 8 and 9, when we move forward in these next couple verses, David will explain that even when they brought all of this evil against him unjustly, David prayed on their behalf. And what did they do? When something went wrong with him, they attacked even harder. Like he responded with good. And they kept bringing evil. So David just ratchets it up and continues to pray for their ruin. David is a hurt man here. Not only is he actually threatened, and we don't know the nature of the threat, but we know he's threatened, he's being falsely accused, and even when he's tried to do good, it's done no good. And so he continues to pray for justice. And we might sit back and say, man, that's really, really intense. And it is. One scholar summarizes everything that's going on here. Carol, can you pull the first quote on the slides? Here's what this one scholar explains. He says, David's cry for vindication is a plea for Yahweh, that's the God of Israel, to render judgment. Yahweh sees and knows the truth, so David pleads for him to break the silence, draw near to confound the false testimony of his enemies. And not only that, But for these false witnesses to experience the public discrediting and disgrace that they've planned for David. David wants justice. Because he has been wronged. And yet, with this such an intense prayer, the thing we have to remember is this isn't the only time that someone in the Bible has prayed against their enemies. Many of God's people, when hurt, have gone to God asking that God would bring ruin to their enemies. A prayer that the prophet Jeremiah prays years later has the echoes of Psalm 35. Some scholars think that Jeremiah would have been well-versed in the psalms at this point and would have actually pulled on Psalm 35. Check out this prayer from the prophet Jeremiah. This would have been hundreds of years after David would have penned Psalm 35. This is a lengthy prayer, but I want you to feel it in its fullness. Jeremiah 18, 18-23, they, they being the enemies, they said, Come, let's make plans against Jeremiah. Let's attack him with our tongues and pay no attention to anything he says. Then the prayer from Jeremiah. Listen to me, Lord. Hear what my accusers are saying. Should good be repaid with evil? Yet they have dug a pit for me. Remember that I stood before you and I spoke in their behalf. To turn your wrath away from them? That's Jeremiah prayed on their behalf. That's what Jeremiah is saying. I prayed for them. Verse 21. So give their children over to famine. Hand them over to the power of the sword. Let their wives be childless and widows. Let their men be put to death. Their young men slain by the sword in battle. Let a cry be heard from their houses when they, when you suddenly bring invaders against them. For they have dug a pit to capture me, and they've hidden snares for my feet. But you, Lord, know all their plots to kill me. Do not forgive their crimes or blot out their sins from your sight. Let them be overthrown before them. Deal with them in the time of your anger. Do you know prayers like that existed in the Bible? I know sometimes we think the Bible's full of rainbows and unicorns. No, it's also full of prayers like this. Bring famine to their children. Kill their young men. These are people who have responded to my good with evil. Destroy them, oh God. These are very heartfelt prayers. And to the modern ear, this sounds very harsh and very insensitive. In some ways, we don't know how to deal with a prayer like this. Yet, as many scholars have pointed out over the years, what may sound harsh to us is at at a basic level a prayer that God would make things right. That God would make things right. It comes in the form that does sound very harsh to us, but really at the base level it's a prayer, God, make this wrong right. Right. One scholar explains it this way. I like the way he did it very concisely. He says this, For righteousness to be declared means someone else must be determined guilty. This is then not so much a case of wishing your enemy ill, as it is a desire for righteousness and justice to prevail with all its necessary consequences. So, when David and Jeremiah pray for the ruin of their enemies... It is not so much that they're praying that they can watch their enemy suffer, but that the person causing the wrong will be dealt with. And in the ancient world, this is the language they pick up. They pick up the language of famine and destruction and ruin. But for them, it's not so much, let me watch my enemy grovel in suffering. Although I'm sure because Jeremiah and David were human, this might have been a struggle for them. What person who has been hurt deeply would not like to see the person that hurt them suffer? I'm sure part of that's inside the prayer. But at the most basic level, it is a prayer. Would you please bring justice? And in these cases, what what where the wrong is where the wrong lies is with actual people who have done wickedness. And so David and both both David and Jeremiah pray. Bring justice. Justice to those who have brought in justice. And again, for the modern ear, that comes across in an ancient form that sounds very odd to us. But it's a prayer that God would make things right. It really is the principle found in Proverbs 21.15. Proverbs 21.15 says this. When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous. But terror to the evildoers. The reason David can say, "When you bring ruin to my enemies, I will rejoice in your salvation," is because in bringing ruin to his enemies, God is making things right. And when God makes things right, there will be joy in the world. Do you know what? Do you know ultimately what the new heavens and the new the new earth will be about? It will be about God's glory. It will be about worshiping the Son and the Father, the Spirit. But in all of that, there will not be one ounce of evil because it will have been dealt with. Heaven is not only a place of great joy and love, it's a place where evil is absent. You see, heaven at some level is a place of justice. And there is great joy wherever there is justice. And so David here is praying, God, make it right. And in the ancient form, it sounds like ruin and javelins and spears and famine and the death of young men. But it's the same heartbeat we all feel when we see something that's not right and we pray, God, make that right. And if it's a human being doing the wrong, then deal with that human being. It's a prayer for justice. Now, what's so interesting about Psalm 35 is it does come from the pen of David. David was no perfect man. Do you remember that David slept with the the wife of another man? And then when he found out he couldn't get away with it because she got pregnant, he had the husband of that woman killed. David was no perfect man. Actually, David was other people's enemy, if that makes sense. David actually did a lot of injustice himself. So for David to pin this strikes me as so interesting Because no human could pray Psalm 35 because no human is purely innocent. If someone does something wrong to you, I guarantee you we can find five other things you've done wrong to someone else. No one can pray Psalm 35 with 100% innocent. Except Jesus. Jesus is the only person that could ever pray Psalm 35 And be 100% innocent. And when we think about Jesus, think about the things he suffered. So if we think about Jesus praying Psalm 35 as the only person that actually could pray it because he's actually the only one who's been purely treated unjustly, well then Psalm 35 starts to come into focus in a different way. Think about the things Jesus suffered. Think about the things we read in Psalm 35. So here's a list of things that David says he suffers, but we know David suffers at times, rightly, because he has committed lots of injustice. But if we shift the focus and we think of this coming from Jesus, I want you to see a list of things in Psalm 35 that Jesus himself suffered. Here's a list coming out of verse 15, 16, verse 19 assailants have gathered against me. They slander me without ceasing. They maliciously mock. They gnash their teeth at me. They hate me without reason. These are all things that Jesus experienced. And then, one more slide. They hated, oh, no, that is not one more slide. I got ahead of myself. Carol, take it back. So sorry. So sorry. All right. Let me set you up for this next one. The reason I would point us to Jesus is because Jesus points us there himself. Jesus actually quotes Psalm 35 as a prediction of the very things he would suffer. It comes from the pen of David. But this psalm is all about Jesus. Check out how Jesus quotes it. Here it is. Now we go to it. John 15, verse 23 through 25. Whoever hates me Hates my father as well. As it is, they have seen and yet they have hated. Uh, they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. You know what he's quoting there is Psalm thirty-five, verse nineteen. Jesus looks at Psalm thirty-five and he sees it as a, a prediction, way in the future of what the Messiah would suffer at the hands of his enemies. And here's what's so cool. You see, David cries out that God would vindicate him, that he would declare him innocent in front of everybody. But what we know is David was never fully innocent. So this psalm's never going to get fulfilled in a normal human being. But with Jesus, it finally gets fulfilled. Because God the Father does for God the Son, Jesus, what David was asking God to do for himself. Jesus suffered. He didn't just suffer hatred without cause. He goes all the way to a Roman cross. He's nailed there. 100% innocent, nailed to a criminal's cross. And what does God the Father do? He vindicates the Son. Because on the third day, by the power of the Father through the Spirit, what happens to Jesus? He comes back to life. And the father declares him king of kings and lord of lords. What David cried for in vindication gets fulfilled in Jesus. The twist to the psalm is the enemy who nailed Jesus to the cross wasn't just a Roman soldier. You know who else nailed him to the cross? You've been in church long enough. It was you. Wayne, sorry, I had to to pick somebody. Crow's already already started, so I thought, why not? In addition to Wayne, so did you, and you, and you, and me. Psalm 53, that great psalm that's all about Jesus, that's quoted more in the New Testament about Jesus than any other of the prophecies. Isaiah three five says this about the death of Jesus. But he, this is Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for whose iniquities? Our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, it was actually on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Jesus suffered. But he didn't suffer because he did something wrong. He suffered because you and I did. And then when the father vindicated the son, he said, whoever's with the son, they get his vindication thrown in. That is grace. Period. Because we didn't deserve any of it. Who are the enemies that come against God's servant? Well, in Psalm 35, it's a group of people. We don't know their names. We don't even know who they are. They've come against David, King David, the servant of God, King of Israel. But in that whole situation... David's done some really bad things himself. But in Jesus, he never sinned. It was me and you. But even as his enemies, he died for us. Psalm 35 points us to Jesus. The Gospels right there in all those verses. And, and Jesus, the servant of God, can pray, bring ruin to those that do evil. But in his love, he also turned that ruin back on himself and died on the cross because of his love. Now that is grace. So there's a lot here, right? There's a lot here. You would have never believed that Psalm 35 is going to get us all the way to the cross and the resurrection. But Jesus did. That's why he quotes it. So when I think about this psalm and I think about what do we do with this, because there are so many different layers to what we could do with this psalm on the ground, there are a few things I think we could um, maybe take away. So this is kind of where we get some application. Everyday life. So here we go. The first is this. It's really just never forget this. I must remember that I once was an enemy of God, and it is only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, That I am safe from judgment. Like never forget that. Never. The moment you start thinking. But I'm a good person. You've missed it. You are not a good person. You are an enemy of God. Who wants to. Left to your own devices. Wants to do what you want to do. When you want to do it. How you want to do it. It is only because of Jesus. Now in Jesus. Guess what he starts making you good. In Jesus, you do start to become good, but because of his goodness. So just never forget, no matter how much bad is out there in the world, never forget, you once were just as bad. Hamas, bad. Right? Hamas, I'm going to call Hamas bad. We okay with that? I'm going to call Putin bad. Hope that's okay. No Putin lovers out here. Good. Putin bad. Jason Yates. Bad. <laughs> Any Jason Yates haters out there? No, let's not do that. <laughs> I know. I know one person right now that we can't. <laughs> <no. laughs> like, so just the gospel is always in front of us. That, If you remember this quote, I'm just going to go with it because we had it a few weeks ago. The gospel teaches us that I am worse than I ever dare believe, <laughs> But I am more loved and accepted than I ever dared hope. That's the gospel. Psalm 35, I think, brings it out for us. All right, let's go with the next one. Here's another thing, application. The day is coming when God will make all things right and all wickedness will be judged. Uh, Listen, go back to Hamas. You look in you look in on the news, right? Like you watch the news and you say, Man, look at all of this evil. Don't you worry. God is going to take care of all of that. So, like, I understand you can get really upset and really distraught, and we should feel it, but don't ever get so hopeless as if God doesn't exist. God will deal with every piece of evil in the world. There's not been one thing bad done in this world that will not be paid for. But even your bad will have to be paid for. And in the end, we will find that there are only... Two kinds of payment. There will be those who are with Jesus, and he paid it all. And there will be those who are outside of Jesus, and they will have to pay for their evil. That's the heaven-hell thing. But with Jesus, it's just grace. But just don't forget, as you're watching the news, or you're dealing with things in your personal life, God will make all things right. Please do not lose hope. Every evil you see will be made right. You can guarantee it. Then last is this. We can and we should pray for justice. And this is kind of where we're going to move for the last few minutes. You should pray that God makes things right. You should pray for justice to be brought against bad people. Pray for it. You should. But here's the thing you shouldn't do. You don't go get revenge on your own. You're not allowed that. You are allowed to pray to God to bring justice to bad people. But you're not allowed to go get revenge on your own. Now, if we're talking about the United States or any other nation, this is a different thing. God has set nations in place to bring justice into the world. A soldier can go on the orders of their commander and bring justice. But Jason, the individual, is not allowed to go and take out all of my enemies. That's just not allowed. Romans 12, Paul says it this way to these early Christians in Rome. He says, do not pay anyone evil for evil. Be careful. Do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. So for all of us that have been hurt, people that have backstabbed, falsely accused, spread rumors, you're not allowed to spread an equal number of rumors to get back at them. That's not allowed for a Christian. Now, you can pray that God will make things right, God bring justice, but you take that prayer to God and you leave any revenge in His hands. You do good. Now, if you think that's easy, now I want I, we need to have a conversation because I have no idea how you think that might be easy. That's one of the hardest things to do as a Christian. But we are not given the right for revenge, but we are given the privilege of prayer. So you pray, and you pray, and you pray for justice. So when I think about that, I thought, well, often our next steps, right? Our next steps are often something very personal for us. Like When I think about taking all of this and getting it on the ground right where you live and doing something today... It usually gets down to something like you do, or something that maybe you put up in your house and you remember. And I thought today, this psalm allows for maybe a much larger next step. So I'm going to say, just go for it. Here it is. Here's what I think we can do. Pray big prayers for big justice in our personal lives, and especially in our community, state, country, and world. Miss Kathleen, where are you? There you are. Miss Kathleen has told me some stories about some things in our community. She has an opportunity to to know some pieces of our community that I I don't interact with. And there are times when I think, I have no idea how to handle that. And I think, God, bring justice. Please bring justice. And sometimes it involves some very bad people in our community. And I say, bring justice. And this week, I want your next step. Pray that big prayer. Literally. If there's something in our community that you know is wrong, you pray to make it right. I mean, pray specific. Remove this person. Let this person be dealt with. Listen, as long as you're not getting personal revenge, don't get personal. You're not allowed personal revenge. You might be allowed to vote, but you're not allowed to get revenge. You pray big prayers. Because to say anything other than this from this stage would be disingenuous. It would act like none of you have enemies or none of you have seen bad things happening in our city or in our state or at the national level. It'd be like, oh, we're all kumbaya. Nothing's really wrong. Let's just be all have a real personal, nice and easy next step. Not today. You pray big prayers of justice. And if you're wrong, if you're praying against someone that you think is wrong, don't worry. God will straighten you out at some point, too. Okay. Because I have no doubt I have prayed against some people. Praying for justice. And God revealed to me a little bit later. That I was a big part of the problem. So I'm just saying. Pray it to God. God can handle it. And if you're wrong. He'll handle that too. But pray prayers of justice. You put whatever you see wrong in the hands of God. And you trust God can handle all of that. Now I'm going to tell you. You know we have a local election coming up. And it's like across across our county. You You can pray. God, you do your work in this election. It's why Paul told Christians, pray for your leaders. Pray for those who have authority over you. Pray for them. You pray for justice. You do your role as a citizen. In the end though, in all of it, You're trusting God and not trying to take every matter into your own hands. Because in the end, you were an enemy and God showed you grace. Say your big prayers for big justice and then keep moving in your day. Trusting God will give you just what you need. But Psalm 35, it's a prayer of justice. As Christians, it's part of our Bibles. This is one way I think we can take a next step with this psalm. Let me pray for us. Father, there is so much in your word that challenges us and it really can make us uncomfortable in our modern sensibilities. But you are a God who loves justice. So would you be with our leaders? Our leaders at, at our, in our church, leaders in our city, our county, our state, federally. We pray against leaders globally and down that would do wrong that would harm the innocent, that would take bribes or stretch the truth to take advantage of others, we pray You bring them to account. In the end, we're praying You make all things right. And as Christians, we look forward to the day when all is well. And there will be no more evil. And we will all sing of Your grace. And so we thank You. And at the most basic level, we, the enemies of God, we shown such immense grace in Jesus. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for that. And so we pray. We pray for justice, and we give that into your hands. And we pray in the name of Jesus. And together we say, Amen.